Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay. I'm sitting here with Jacob Winkler. I'm so happy, Jacob, to have you on the show. Uh, we've known each other through the group scene that gets brought up on the show quite a bit. The AGPA, um, the Center for Group Studies um, over in New York. I think we first met in that area. And I'm excited to maybe learn more about you through this and to see, yeah, kind of the man behind the therapy mask, which I think mm. is always of interest to our listeners to see like, yeah, they're therapists are people too, you know. Thank you so much, Mark. Um, I smiled even as you said the man behind the mask because I I think and assume part of what when you mentioned the group scene that when we know each other is this uh, you know process group for therapists and I, and I my my thought about it is that you you know me from there in a pretty human way. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's really exciting to be here with you and to have a chance to, to talk about more about that. Yeah, I'm excited to learn more about that because I think we've connected on enjoying like Jungian psychology and mythology, um, working with archetypes and doing some of the men's work. And I think it's really, I'm really looking forward to, I think, adding more breadth to our relationship Something that I talk about with some of the other NGPA people, I'm curious what you think about this, is that in the group scene, it's a lot of depth. It's a lot of like going in. There's a lot of regression, which for our listeners means like kind of acting out childlike impulses. You know, it's a lot of like emotional intensity, but it lacks a lot of context, you know, because you're just kind of dropped into it. You're like parachuted in behind enemy lines and you have to just like go. Um, so I've enjoyed doing these interviews with my AGPA buddies because I get all this context that I might have learned about you had we been in any other circumstance, right? That <laughs> is in, so, yeah. that's such a good point. I actually got goosebumps as you said it, because okay. it's, it's so easy to forget and to then not appreciate how hungry I am for that too. Uh, to like, just, just share more like ideas and things that we've confronted and thought about stories and history and not, not just the, um, kind of how squishy are you in the moment, right? Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I actually, I actually have an idea of how to start because so you, you, um, you picked from the ashes, right, for your for your podcast. And I was thinking about that. You know, obviously the the imagery of the phoenix. Uh, and I was, I have to admit, I haven't listened to your other uh, recordings. I'd like to, um, but. I think I noticed like the coming up in me as I was thinking about this is like there's a on one hand the desire to be impressive and to shine. And I like I was thinking about like my like from the ashes story, I think so much is about recovering from a kind of Icarus mentality. Uh, and that's that's really been like 
a big story for me. Um, I had the, should I keep going or do you want to? Oh, no, this is great. Yeah. To dive right in. Yeah. Let people know. Um, So I grew up in a, in a secular Jewish uh, family and then got really into meditation and mysticism and uh, Eastern philosophy that was translated. And I started meditating a lot and I left college uh, because I wanted to find God and the community that was about that. I didn't want to like uh, work so hard. I was kind of intimidated about the world of work and uh, just being a grown up. And I had this this hope that I could find an alternative, an alternative uh, way of life. Uh, wow, it's kind of a, it's like a big story. Part of that, I mean, maybe I'll come back to the the detours along the way, but one of the, the where I really ended up for a while was uh, in Israel and becoming Orthodox Jewish, mm-hmm. which was such a dramatic and radical change. Uh, and then I I was in that world for several years. I married, I had children, and eventually grew out of it. And well, hold on, can I slow down for yeah, a moment? Yeah, yeah. I don't know yeah. how to, yeah. Like, Help like me tell how, the story. Yeah, well, I'm just curious. I think I met you towards the end of that, right? Because I, I remember meeting your wife. Um, I think she also went to CGS. Um, but I'm so curious about, yeah, just walk us through like the decision to join the Orthodox Jewish community, about what that was like, especially being someone that wasn't raised in it. Right. Um, you know, our so, listeners know, and I think, you know, like I'm, I'm Jewish, secular, you know, reform. Um, so I have some familiarity, but the Orthodox community is a whole nother thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, so I grew up with like almost no uh, awareness of, of, you know, of the different, of Orthodoxy, certainly. And what happened was I had this kind of um, experience while I was in college. Uh, I was meditating every day. I was doing Aikido. Uh, and I I had this sense of like, well, what if I just, just kind of followed whatever kind of intuitive uh, ideas God put in my mind? Uh, I, it was not... I don't think very grounded, but it was, uh, there was a, a degree of, I, I, I also hesitate to say that it was like completely like manic, I, I, you know, somewhere in between grounded and manic, but so uh, it was, it was this sense of being led that, that came over me or that it was like, oh, this is really, there's something to this. And so I would how did I know what was going, what the thing was to lead me? It was kind of like a sense of excitement and, and inspiration. And uh, so I I would just be like an openness to, well, what's going to, what's next. And I remember I, someone mentioned uh, the Kripalu Yoga Institute in uh, in Massachusetts, I think. And I, so I went there. It was like, oh, that sounds good. I'll go there. And then I was in the the bookstore of their yoga. I was doing their volunteer program, and I was reading books about by Ken Wilber and really liking them. And turned the back of it and was like, "Oh, he's in Boulder and he's you know Europa." And I'm like, "Okay, I'm going to go there. That's the next stop." 
I was in Europa for a little while and I was getting frustrated with, it still felt too structured and too just mainstream. I didn't really know what I was searching for. And um, I decided to leave there and kind of wander around. And at the same time, kind of strangely, coincidentally, strangely, my my brother graduated high school and decided to do a secular year in Israel in between before going to college. And so while I was wandering around, he said, well, why don't you wander around Israel? And we'll, we'll be there together. And then while we were there, we both came in contact with these um, organi- this organization, there are a few of them, but are kind of that are sort of like Jewish missionary organizations that uh, try to find confused young Jewish people and um, convince them to become Orthodox. And they're very good at it. Uh, and, and we were convinced. Um, I, could, I could say more about the actual, like the things that spoke to me in that process. Um, you know, I, I would I remember seeing so the Orthodox Jewish one of the things that they have big families, and uh, they on Shabbat you don't have devices. This was really before phones so much anyway, but you just it creates a it it gave this impression of like this wholesome, loving, big family, and that was that really um, spoke to me of like oh like I want that I want to be part of that, and then. Um, there's this like, if you're a fundamentalist, you have this real clarity, you know, like I know what the right way is. I know what the right thing is. And that was just intoxicating for me. The, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, very easy for me to enjoy feeling self-righteous. And this was like just a, a carte blanche, you know, like I, yeah, you know what you the know. way is, right? Like you exactly. have the way. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I think it was those two things combined with sort of the standard arguments that they make, which, you know, you're kind of in your 20s and you're not, you're more meditating than thinking critically anyway. So I succumbed to those. And, uh, and the, you know, the three of those together, plus a sense of this is continuing this kind of God's leading me. So I was just like, okay, well, God's leading me. And uh, I just dove in. And, um, I went to uh, yeshiva, which is, it's kind of like be, uh, being at a meditation retreat or being in a monastery. It's just very, very, uh, it's like religion all day long. Prayer, study, um, abstinence, like, yeah, and it's preparation for Jewish living, Orthodox Jewish living, from, for getting married through the dating world, the the matchmaking world. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I was doing that. I did that for, for three years before starting the, the matchmaking. Oh, it's like, it's where I connect to the, the from the ashes part is just, um, there was so much like, oh, everything will be fine, and this is great, and, you know, no heaviness. That's where I feel like the Icarus, and, you know, and, like, uh, and I'm 
I have so much to be grateful for in my life now, and we'll probably get to some of that. But like, there's, I, I'm so much more in touch now with the cost of all of that, yeah, and the the price I paid not realizing it, and that's where I really connect to this, you know, you you soar and then you crash, and then you come out again and dust yourself off. Yeah, when I can see the intoxication, right? I mean, it, like it's in the moment, you're just like, this is my path. I am, you know, child of God or whatever your story was, right? Of like, I'm just doing it. And I, you know, I, I didn't know you went to Naropa or you, you spent time in Naropa. That's the grad school I went to. And I did three years there. And it's very similar. Where like when I was in that bubble, I was like, this is where I need to be. And mm-hmm. that's coupled with intense emotional and intense religious and spiritual experiences I was having regularly of mm-hmm. like, whoa, and belonging. I mean, even though there's, I do think there are some significant issues with the Naropa community and the Shabbat community at the time, I was blind too. I was just like, whoa, I found my people. I found my tribe. Like these people see me, they get me. I'm like crying on a regular basis. I'm meditating. I'm eating cleaner than I ever did. I'm doing yoga. I mean, I'm just like feeling great where mm-hmm. other parts of my life, I, I can, in, in retrospect, maybe you can relate with this, like the blinders were like starting to come on to like other parts of life. Was that part of your experience or what, what happened? Well, I mean, I wish I could say the blinders came on gradually. My, my felt sense is that I was really, I was really kind of blind going in, uh, yeah. you know, and that's, that's one of the kind of the graces of the story is that like, I do feel like who knows where I would have ended up. Like I might've ended up in some ashram in India or something. And I do feel like I, I got very valuable, all kinds of things. Well, children, but like qualities for myself experiences. And, uh, oh man, though. Yeah. That it's so, that's like so scary that the, to the, I really live with that, like that fear of, become being blind again um wow yeah i can just feel that like that that's really motivates a lot of my work in therapy you know personally and then just what i'm trying to do with the people i work with is like i have a sense now of how how terrifying it is to be blind somewhat blind yeah uh and i have this now inner um (laughs) like uh, kind of progressive intersectional critic inside of me saying like, well, don't use blind because it's not necessarily terrifying for actually blind people. But but the the sense of uh, I don't want to see what's important, and I and therefore I'm willing to focus on what appeals to me is is very scary for me. Yeah, there's there's a lot there. I want to bookmark that for a moment and I want to keep walking through the story of the matchmaking process and what that was like Um, I I do want to go back to this yeah well that is crazy I mean wow so the way that worked for me so I was in a yeshiva with a bunch of what's called balay chuva which means they start out uh they're not they're not orthodox and they become orthodox uh and the way you know, and you're not having sex, you're not masturbating, you're not even supposed to like look or talk to women while you're, before you're getting ready to date. And then 
you say you're ready to date and your rabbi agrees, maybe there's some negotiation, but okay, you know, and then you start the dating process. You meet uh, a matchmaker who probably often is kind of an, an older woman who's got a, a big Rolodex. And you tell her what kind of religious life you want to lead. But the, the, it's pretty, uh, like, there are some really clear right answers. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know. It's, it's like, not a survey, it's a quiz, right? Yeah, exactly. It's really, yeah. that's right. Like, you're, it's really like a job interview in a way. Yeah. Where, like, you know, you, you, you're prepped to know what to say and what not to talk about. And so, and then based on that, based on what you say, she's going to suggest matches for you. Um, and, uh, then you look, you, you get a chance to say, okay, I'll go with this match. Sure. I'll check it out. And the other, and then the other person gets the same chance. And then you meet, uh, in a hotel, uh, lobby and you get a glass of water each. Really? I don't think, I don't think you can even get a soda. Maybe you get a soda. (laughs) You're sitting in this hotel lobby. It's public space, and from the first date, you're trying to figure out: are you are you the right person to get married to? Right. It goes all the way to like the end game, right? That's right. Yeah. So, so I'm curious with this matchmaking process. Um, before we go into a break here, like if if it's a quiz and everyone's answering the same right answers, how is that effective at all? Right. If you're, everyone's trying to answer the same. How do they get a sense of who's actually compatible? Or maybe the yeah. answer they don't. Maybe it's just a crapshoot. Well, it's it's a really good question, and you know, we'll, let's we'll come back to that one. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, so, so we'll wrap up here. I want to hear more about the story, more about kind of how you were moving through that, and yeah, I think it's great, and how you eventually got out of it. So, if you're uh, listening, hang on there, and we'll see you on the other side of the commercial break. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit Mark dash azulay dot teachable dot com that's mark m-a-r-c dash azulay a-z-o-u-l-a-y dot teachable dot com voice america is on linkedin connect with us today today 
You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to the show. I'm sitting here with Jacob Winkler, and we're talking about um, a topic that I love talking about, like belonging, feeling lost, seeking, whether it be spiritual or seeking family. It's a big part of my story. And I want to bring it back to you, Jacob, where you talk about being in the Orthodox Jewish community and doing this matchmaking process. And I have to imagine, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, of course, but I have to imagine that you have this need for belonging. Plus, you haven't, you know, talked to a woman or looked at a woman in three years. So I'm curious what it's like for you to all of a sudden be across the table, you know, when you're in the lobby with a glass of water with this woman that, um, or these women that could be your wife, right? The, instead, the intention was that like, this is your life partner. This is the mother of your children. That's, that's, like, that's like zero to a hundred so fast, right? That's right. And, and you reminded me like, oh my God, you, you know, if you think about just being a, a regular person in the secular world, you know, it brings up a lot to go approach someone that you're interested in and say hi and to say, you know, and ask them something to ask, you know, to express your interest, uh, all the fear of like rejection and all of that. This is like, I just, you know, remembering it like amps that up so much because, you know, first you have this, this interview with the matchmaker and yeah, like, they're, she's like the gatekeeper. Like, are you going to get access? Are you, are you suitable? And then, okay, you meet this, this young woman who's kind of in the same position of like, just sort of been prepped for this goal, but has, I mean, both of us, so little sense of who we are really. And so much like kind of pressure to find the person and build that family. Uh, kind of even forgot where we were going with that. But like, you're sitting there, and yeah, it's really intense, really, really awkward, and um, and you don't know how it goes. You 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 you, you end the the meeting, and then you each speak to your respect, speak to your respective people, and speak to the matchmakers separately, and just and then decide if you want to meet again without talking to each other. That's that's the way I did it. There are slight modifications, but uh so it's so anxiety provoking. Oh yeah. Uh, like, you know, but the the one thing that's good about it is you're supposed to decide quickly. I don't know if that's good about it actually, but <laughs> you don't have to sit with the not knowing for that long because you're supposed to know within a week or so you should know are you meeting again? A few days. Okay. Uh and then you meet again, and it's pretty similar. Maybe you go for a walk in a public space for the second date. Um, by like the third or fourth, fifth date, you should have clarity about: Are you getting engaged or not? Really? If you're not, Whoa. if you're not getting engaged, probably you should move on. Uh, and how are you? How the hell are you supposed to know? Well, the 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 encouragement that I remember getting was if there's no huge red light, there's no huge sign of no, then just say yes. 
So, I mean, uh, so like part of where I am now is like, I, I don't want to be rejecting of traditions or perspectives uh, because I've done a lot of that. So I'm like, I want to be like, okay, there's a kernel of wisdom here to like, okay, there's nothing hugely wrong. So let me say, yes, I think there's, there's wisdom as far as modern dating. There's something about that that's useful, but oh my God, Mark, I was, yeah. I was uh, engaged three times and almost engaged two other times. And I saw um, a total of 13 women in that year, I think, pretty sure. So that is wild. And yeah, that's wild. Yeah. It, it was such a emotional um trip. Just uh yeah. I mean, I almost I almost wonder if you just get married just just to not be doing that. Just anymore. to end it. <laughs> just yeah. to end that craziness. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I mean, I, I eventually met someone where we got to the wedding um, and started the family. Uh, and so like, but we were not, I mean, I was, part of what I was bringing to this and you mentioned it is like, I was looking for the mother of my children. Um, not necessarily like the partner for me I, I was pretty split about that I wasn't thinking so much and I was encouraged not to think mm -hmm. who are you going to enjoy life with and um feel challenged by in the most enriching way so um my ex you know she was she is and was like a great mom but we were so so poorly matched as far as uh being partners for each other, and um, and I think that is common. You asked, like, how do you, how do these, how does this system work? Like, I mean, maybe someone who had more confidence would be more themselves in the whole process. Uh, I was, I was really trying to, to live up to an ideal mm -hmm. that I had absorbed from the environment, and I guess, I mean. Part of what I was communicating that was true about me was like my passion to live up to an ideal, <laughs> but, but, but it was not uh, as full a picture as, as maybe other people are able to do in that system. Um, <sighs> so, well, yeah, well, yeah. and you just came out of three years of intensive religious training. So I'd have to imagine that that was your life. Right, oh, was trying totally to live up was. to this ideal. I right? mean, you, you weren't developing other passions or hobbies or interests, right? Like you were just in the yeshiva, just grinding, right? Right, right. absolutely. And but but even among the people in yeshiva, I was the one who was trying to do extra. Yeah, <laughs> overachiever. Yeah, I was the overachiever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the other thing that that happened is. You know, I had I had entered yeshiva from this very kind of new agey, interested in everything, religious philosophical place. I really kind of filtered that in preparation for the dating process, and then once I was married, that 
could start to come out again more. And I had um, I had one mentor who was really important because he was also uh, a Baal Tshuva. He was also had come to the faith as a as a teenager. Well, not even like a young adult, and had that same quest for sort of mystical knowledge and experience. And he really had kind of, he, he'd done the whole thing. He'd created a family, he was living in Jerusalem, uh, and he'd really studied with a lot of the Jewish mystics. But he felt like it, it had kind of dead-ended, uh, my sense of things. And therefore, he actually was really affirming in my questioning in a way that a lot of the other people were, were totally threatened by it. Um, and I remember, I remember distinctly having this thought of like, is the Dalai Lama more forgiving than God? Mm. You know, we're getting ready for Yom Kippur, kind of studying the various ways that I've sinned, trying to like get into this. And then, and, and like, you have to ask for forgiveness. And I was, and I, and in my, I was wondering about that. Like, is, is the Dalai Lama, is the Buddha more forgiving than God? That doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, and so it was these sorts of questions that, that started to take on more energy for me. Um, and then uh, I got re-exposed to this spiritual teacher, David Hawkins. Um, I don't know if you've heard of him. I've heard the um, name, but I'm not familiar with the details. Yeah, so it's almost like, in some ways, like out of the frying pan into the fire. Like uh, his whole premise, I'm, I'm sort of, I do feel kind of embarrassed to say in a way, is that you can um, hold out your arm and based on the, the strength of your arm, whether it's, it resists being pushed down or whether it goes down when someone pushes it, determine the absolute truth of any idea. Uh, okay. Yes. This is bringing some bells. Yeah. 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 Hopefully warning bells. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I've used this for food sensitivities and right, like all right. kinds of stuff too. Yeah. This right, technique. Right. Yeah. So I, uh, for some reason when I re reread his books, cause I'd seen them before in Boulder, but I reread them and I had this same kind of felt sense experience of, Oh, this is the truth now. And uh, there's a lot of beautiful kind of mystical teaching and language in his books, but this, that, the one thing that he bases it all on is complete nonsense. It's snake oil. Yeah. Snake oil has been completely debunked, but I became uh, a true believer of Dr. Hawkins to the, and of course my, my Orthodox wife was totally distressed by this. Um, we moved back to the States at this time. And for, for many years, I'm just trying to, I don't know, live in two worlds, part of this Orthodox family, but be inspired by this new agey guru. Uh, and then his main student, um, who was actually entrusted by him to write his biography, comes out with this expose about how, you know, 
when he studied the documents that Dr. Hawkins gave him for the for the project, he realized, wait a second, the research doesn't fit. The the the, the testimonials are are false. Like, you know, and he wrote a, a whole book on it. Uh, and so that rocked my world again. Where I'm like, oh, again, I've like completely dove into a world that um, that that means that I'm not not in touch with the reality of things. Um, and in his critique, the Scott Jeffries, the the author, he talked about Carl Jung and the idea of wholeness. Um, and uh, that's what that's what helped bring me out of the spiritual seeking. <laughs> uh in the same way that i was in it, it before that was just kind of looking for the light looking for the bliss and brought me to the world of therapy which was looking for light and dark you know wholeness it's <sighs> like a lot to say <laughs> <laughs> no it's great though okay so i i think that's really interesting and i want to hear more about that right of like moving from this right and wrong like black and white way of thinking like a more dogmatic i would say way of thinking right whether totally. it be orthodox judaism or be the you know dr hawkins stuff um into i think holding which has been a big part of me for therapy is like holding you know paradoxical truths holding multiple things at the same time um mm -hmm. creating much more kind of panoramic awareness was that your experience too of of breaking out of that kind of good versus evil narrative yes like completely that i i love knowing what is good and what is bad what is evil and identifying with what is good uh that's a very safe seemingly safe comfortable place to be and it's been but very dangerous very very dangerous place uh and so it's been so liberating to be um, constantly looking for well, what's not, what's not included in this narrative, what's not, uh, what am I not wanting to think about, you know, as I as I tell myself this story, uh, and and where's the, where's the truth in the in the opposite in the other, yeah. Uh, that's been really refreshing. Yeah, I think it's critical. I mean, I know you know this, I'm saying this for our listeners too. It's like shadow work is something that, you know, we talk about a fair amount, which is, you know, your shadow is the part of yourself that you disconnect from. And it's not the evil part, right? It could be for some people, their shadow could be tenderness or compassion or vulnerability or feeling weak or feeling scared, right? But it's those parts that we cut off to keep this ideal, this ego alive. Um, mm -hmm. And it sounds like you were building that really big bag of shadow right? In these That's kind right. of good versus evil, you know, red versus blue, empire versus rebellion story, right? Exactly. There wasn't a lot of gray. Right, right. That's exactly right. Uh, and that's, that's the, again, where I connect to the from the ashes bit, where it's like the, the flight of Icarus involves a big bag of shadow, as you say, you know, and like, and then you crash down and you have to like, see it and be in it. Uh, but that's such a better place to be, I would say. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah.
It is. I, I think it is um, so far. Uh, we're going to move to our final commercial break here. When we come back, I want to hear more about, you know, how you unwound your life, right? I mean, how you kind of, you know, got out of the marriage, how you, you know, got out of the the, the orthodoxy and, you know, create a new life for yourself now. Um, that sounds great. So if you're listening and you're connecting, um, definitely tune in and share it on social media, like it, send it to people. Um, this is a really powerful story. And I think it resonates with a lot of our listeners. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit Mark dash azulay dot teachable dot com that's mark m-a-r-c dash azulay a-z-o-u-l-a-y dot teachable dot com voice america is on linkedin connect with us today you are listening to from the ashes with mark azulay To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome to our final segment. We're in the From the Ashes part, you know? So I'm curious, Jacob, um, as you're kind of getting out of the orthodoxy, as you're kind of, I'd imagine, questioning your marriage, questioning your decisions. Um, what did that look like? How did you kind of unravel your life and, and start to rebuild it? Right. Well, um, we were actually encouraged to divorce from the orthodox mentors we had once I started saying things that were too heretical. But we both were kind of too stubborn. Um, and, and by for me, at least, Part of that was like, I couldn't tolerate the shame I imagined about getting divorced and the fear of it. And so it was just, I, I, I wouldn't really allow that as an option. And so, but I, so I was going through the motions, living in New Jersey, doing less and less. But, and then as I was doing therapy, I became more, uh, willing to feel things that I was not for most of my life. Uh, to be angry, to grieve, to, to feel shame, 
um, to feel helpless. Um, so I was really like becoming much more of a human uh, in this. And I started with Jungian analysis because I was inspired by the, um, like Jung is kind of adjacent to the spiritual quest in a way I would say. And so that felt really like a good fit. Okay. If I'm not going to be trying to attain enlightenment, then at least I will be um, doing the Jungian project. <laughs> uh, and then I also discovered the group world and that felt like, man, there's, a, there's like little side stories here that I, I may not get into. Like I was hoping, I, I had the same kind of hoped for community in the Jungian world. I was kind of disappointed with, with that. Came to the group world. It was like, oh, maybe now this is finally my tribe. So far, I, I don't think I'm that disappointed, but <laughs> but uh, that's that was part of it. And the group therapy really helped me connect to my feelings and um, to live them and express them in a way that an individual is happening in a, a very different way. Uh, and so I really think it was in group that I first felt like, oh, I could actually be angry with someone in a constructive way without without fearing like I'm destroying them and uh, and without getting destroyed myself. And uh, also I can express my desire and my affection and my care, my love better, clearer. Um, and I think eventually, as far as leaving the marriage, eventually I just kind of became strong enough and clear enough that I wanted to raise my kids more authentically, not go, not, not teach them that they should be observant, even as I was less and less. And I felt finally deserving of seeking a partner that I would really love and feel that kind of romantic connection with. Uh, and so that, that was, I mean, that was, Sort of, that culminated in getting divorced. Um, and I feel kind of astoundingly lucky in this, but very shortly after getting divorced, I had one, one long-term relationship and then I met um, my wife now, just last year. And um, I think it's been a direct result of the work of being able to, um, what we were saying before, like be light and dark, you know, feel my own darkness rather than that was that was part of my my first marriage lasted I think almost ten years, maybe a little more more something like that about ten years, and so much of it was I did not want to think of myself as nasty, mean, cruel, vicious, mm -hmm. irritable, you know impatient, all of these things. And of course I am all of those things because we're all everything. But so part of why it lasted so long was I didn't, I wasn't really fighting for what was important to me. Uh, and one of the gifts from therapy, especially the group therapy is that I now feel like I can fight for what's important to me. And that's made, um, I think it's made it much easier to find 
someone who I'm really excited to be with most of the time and um, <laughs> like confident about the fighting, you know, when it's, when it's frustrating and miserable, like in a way that it's not, it's not, dis- I don't know, it's not despairing to the same extent or something. It's like, okay, we'll, we'll get through this. It's going to be, you know, I can be ugly too, and that's okay. And I can then tolerate her ugliness too at times. It's not so personal, right? It's not like a existential pronouncement. Right. Like it doesn't I'm define bad. who you are as a person, right? Like right. I am a bad husband or a cruel partner or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. right. Uh, yeah. And I think it's easy as a child to, to think that like you see your parents fight and you think, Oh, that's just horrible. I'm not going to be like that at all. And that's, that's kind of how the shit you start putting stuff in your shadow. Like, I don't, you know, versus being like, that's what it, that's being a human. That's, you know, that's two people, you know, trying to figure out this really hard thing. Yeah. I remember um, early in my career, maybe same point of like coming from Naropa and coming from this big, like spiritual materialism thing, which for our listeners essentially means like, and I felt this thinking that I was better than other people because I had a spiritual practice and I was like more pure or more enlightened or more, more everything, right? More present, uh, mm-hmm. better person, right? Like a lot of superiority. I remember hanging out with these um, these group people. They're talking about these modern analysts, right? And just like having a talk over like a drink and they're talking about how like jealous they are of other people and how much they hate other people and how they have fantasies of like killing people, you know? And I'm like, or like, and I'm just sitting there I'm like, these are like some demons. Like these are like the nastiest, craziest people I've ever seen. And they, and they call themselves like, therapists that were supposed to be getting my idea that these they're like these enlightened helping you know mother Teresa figures and it's like yeah this is what people are talking about and you know now i realize no they were just kind of owning their entire experience rather than trying to perform and be like the best therapist or the best buddhist or the best you know uh human or whatever it is yeah um and that was that was scary for me scary and then ultimately refreshing but in the beginning like very terrifying of like Uh oh shit there's a lot more here I wasn't, I love what you just said. I don't remember connecting to the fear when I first was exposed to it. Maybe it was there, but I just didn't allow myself to feel it. But I do remember being like, oh my God, this is so different. And what you described, the, the spiritual materialism, I mean, like that's something that I, I'm so allergic to now. This sense of, um, from whatever vantage point I had found, I can, I'm, have a sense that I'm better than others. Now, I'm sure I'm guilty of this. Like, like I'm allergic to it because I'm. it's such a temptation for me. But it's also something you mentioned red-blue earlier. Like, I've always, like, I really, my, like, long for um, being able to, like, see our various political parts has like sides of the brain like right and left sides of the brain to be like to be like real diversity is like this person who i'm terrified of that their vision of america or the world or whatever is terrifying to me and i'm still going to assume that there's something of wisdom in what they're and where they're coming from and i'm going to walk forward towards them with the terror and not and not not 
um, not hide it, not hide the fact that, look, I find this terrifying, you know, and here's what I, and I want to tell you more, but to, to have this weird trust that there's something incredibly important about, um, well, embracing might be strong, although that, uh, I, you know, but like uh, reaching for that which is terrifying, especially in the political other, and 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 trying to uh, dislodge myself from the place of self righteousness. Yeah, I think I love that you said that. It makes me think of a uh, idea I think popularized by actually by Jordan Peterson, where he talks about of the way that the political system works and his moment makes it strong is the tension between multiple viewpoints and like this kind of tensile strength that you can see like in, an, in any kind of organic system mm-hmm. rather than our homogenous strength, right? Mm-hmm. Which is everybody believing and thinking the same idea, whether that be on either side of the political spectrum, I don't think it actually matters. But mm-hmm. I think like, it's like the difference, you know, healthy, if possible, conflict resolution, right? Debate, like it's the, it's the back and forth that I think creates real strength. Um, whereas homogeny might feel really good, but I think quickly can become like fascism, right? Of like everybody thinks and feels and believes the same way, or can become, you know, I, I won't use this word for your experience, but I know from my Europa experience, like cult, right? Of oh, like, totally, it's totally it's, my experience, multiple times, right? Yes. Yeah, of like this cult mentality of like we all are in lockstep and we all believe the same thing. Mm-hmm. And while, like you said, that might feel safe, I think it's incredibly dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it creates that closed mindedness and like a lack of flexibility. And, and yeah, this righteousness of like, I know the way my way is the way and everybody else is wrong or stupid or unenlightened or uneducated or, you know, racist or whatever, right? Like whatever the narrative is that puts right. people down. Right. Yeah. You're right. I, I, that's, that's so important. And that's, that's one of the things I actually, so I run this workshop for therapists called deeper in the here and now, which is a, a taste of a process group. It's, it's really inspired by the, the group training where we met. Uh, it's my own attempt to do that. And, and when someone wants to do it, I ask them, you know, is there anyone that you can imagine where if they were in this group, you would, you would not want to be part of it? And, you know, that could be, you know, their mom or a patient or a gay person or a Republican or, you know, whoever. And that's, I mean, I only, I, I, I usually only speak for about 15 minutes with people who want to join this thing. But that's the thing that I really want to talk about because um, I really, I think like that's the promise of of the kinds of group therapy that we do is that you can um, stay in dialogue with someone who, who, who really is intolerable to you, you know, who, who sets you off, whether it's their politics or their personality or, you know, whatever that, and that's where you can like, really grow because there, there's something uh, I'm like aware of the time. And then I'm like noticing I'm starting to speed up. Cause I'm like, Oh, I want to get through all these things. But uh, there, there's one idea that really inspired me when I first got exposed to it. And that's the supposedly like, it's called the first law of cybernetics. Have you heard of this? Yeah. 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 So the way I, t- I understand it is it, it says something like the most flexible part of the system will eventually determine the course. Mm-hmm. And what I take from that is like, you know, the more, and this really applies with like couples therapy and being in relationship, but like the more you can um, notice your habitual way of responding and 
tried something different, the more likelihood you have of, of getting closer to what you want. Uh, and that's 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 something that I really love about the work that we do, that we're helping people do that. Yeah, I think building that psychological flexibility and that curiosity for the full breadth of life is, I mean, it's magical. Um, yeah. We do have to wrap up here, but I, I am excited to have you on again to talk more about this righteousness and this kind of like lockstep situation. And I think it's something that is going to be increasingly relevant as we enter, you know, the next election cycle. So mm -hmm. Jacob, thank you so much for joining us. Um, can you let people know where they might be able to find more information about you and the work that you do and who you are? Sure. So my, my website is uh, grouptherapynj.com. Just spell it as it sounds. And um, yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to hear from people. I uh, really thank you for this opportunity, Mark, and I would love to come again. It's fantastic. It's wonderful like learning more. There's a lot of parallels between our stories. And I think this idea of like being a spiritual seeker is also really critical of, you know, what, what was lacking that made us want to do that. <laughs> Right. That is, that's really, that's, that's yeah, that's a really important conversation. I, yeah, I, we could talk a lot about that. That's, um, that's, I think, yeah, like an, essential, you know, to, to get in touch with that pain and keep it close. Yeah. Yeah. Well, until next time, we have to wrap up here. Um, if you're listening and you enjoy it again, like it, share it, spread the word. Um, these are really important conversations. And if you can relate to it in any way, it's helpful to get some feedback. Um, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We're trying to build up our numbers there. Thank you for everyone who's done it so far. And without further ado, I'll see you next week. Another episode of From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same. <laughs>